Are you interested in storytelling about healthcare? Take a listen to our friends at The Nocturnists, a medical storytelling podcast that collects deeply personal missives from healthcare workers across North America. They've just launched the second installment of Stories from a Pandemic, which delves into the inner lives of medical professionals fighting COVID-19. While we're all eager to move on from the pandemic, this series lays the groundwork for processing what the pandemic has revealed about our healthcare system and ourselves. Check out The Nocturnists at thenocturnists.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on to our episode. In the 15th century, the Turkish surgeon Serafeddin Sabun Kuoglu completed an illustrated surgical textbook wherein he described the recognition and management of various conditions, such as thoracic trauma. In it, he describes the use of a form of cupping therapy to treat punctures of the pleura. What Sabun Kuoglu was likely treating was pneumothorax, a term first credited to the French physician Jean-Marc Gaspard Itard in the 19th century. It was Itard's teacher, René Lenec, who described this condition in further detail in 1819. Today, our patient has a pneumothorax, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made to serve residents on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, Under Pressure, Approach to Pneumothorax. Composed of a thin layer of connective tissue and mesothelial cells, the pleural membranes of the lung are thin, serous membranes that physically separate but mechanically couple the lung and the chest wall together. The visceral pleura covers the outer surface of the lungs, while the parietal pleura lines the inner surface of the chest wall. The two pleural surfaces are separated by a potential space, known as the pleural cavity, which is filled with approximately 10 ml of serous fluid and normally devoid of air. The pressure within this cavity, known as the intrapleural pressure, is normally negative or subatmospheric. This is due to opposing forces of the chest wall and lung. Specifically, at its functional residual capacity, the lungs have a tendency to deflate due to the surface tension inside of the alveoli, and due to presence of fibers such as elastin and collagen. This is balanced by the tendency of the chest wall to spring outwards at this volume. These opposing forces create a negative intrapleural pressure, which in turn prevents the lungs from collapsing and the chest wall from recoiling outwards. What happens when the integrity of the pleural cavity is interrupted, such that it communicates with the air inside of the alveoli or outside of the body, both of which are at atmospheric pressure? Recall that flow depends on the existence of a pressure gradient, and therefore, air tends to move from areas of higher to lower pressure. Since atmospheric pressure is higher than the negative intrapleural pressure, such a communication would result into movement of air into the pleural cavity. The presence of air in the pleural cavity is referred to as a pneumothorax. As air rushes into the pleural cavity, the intrapleural pressure increases. The loss of the negative intrapleural pressure loosens the reins on the lungs and the chest wall, which are free to act according to their independent elastic properties. 
This means that the lung is free to collapse and the chest wall is free to spring outwards. There are numerous mechanisms through which air can enter into the pleural cavity. For example, pneumothoraces can occur as a result of external factors that compromise the pleural cavity. They can be classified as traumatic, such as those occurring after a stab wound or a gunshot wound to the chest, or iatrogenic, such as those occurring after medical procedures like thoracentesis, central line insertion, lung biopsies, or interventional cardiac procedures. They may also be seen following cardiopulmonary resuscitation. However, some pneumothoraces occur in the absence of any external precipitating factors and are labeled as spontaneous. Spontaneous pneumothoraces can be further subdivided based on the presence of underlying lung disease. Primary spontaneous pneumothoraces occur in patients without clinically evident underlying lung disease, and risk factors for this subtype include tall stature and thin body habitus, male sex, as well as active smoking. Secondary spontaneous pneumothoraces occur in patients with underlying lung diseases, such as COPD, cystic fibrosis, and tuberculosis, as well as connective tissue diseases such as Marfan syndrome or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. While some may be asymptomatic, most patients with pneumothoraces often present with dyspnea, which can be sudden in onset and often worse in patients with underlying lung disease, given their already compromised pulmonary reserve. Due to the presence of sensory nerve endings in the parietal pleura, some patients may experience pleuritic chest pain. Physical examination may reveal hyperresonance as well as reduced lung expansion, decreased tactile fremitus, and decreased breath sounds on the side of the pneumothorax. Pulse oximetry may reveal hypoxemia. Occasionally, a pneumothorax will result in intrapleural pressures high enough to significantly impair respiration and venous return, threatening cardiopulmonary collapse. This occurs due to a one-way valve mechanism, where air is allowed to enter the pleural cavity but cannot fully leave it. Known as a tension pneumothorax, this can occur as a result of any of the mechanisms that we have already discussed and is considered a medical emergency. Tension pneumothoraces are a clinical diagnosis with patients often presenting with severe dyspnea as well as signs of hemodynamic instability such as hypotension and tachycardia. Tracheal deviation may be present on physical examination, but this is neither specific nor sensitive. The diagnosis of pneumothorax is made on imaging, and erect inspiratory chest x-rays are the recommended initial investigation. Chest x-rays will reveal displacement of the pleural line away from the chest wall and the absence of lung markings beyond this. In some cases, the intrapleural air can cause the trachea and mediastinum to shift away from the affected lung. Some patients may have both a pneumothorax and pleural effusion present in the same pleural space. This is known as a hydropneumothorax and on chest x-ray is suggested by the presence of gas fluid levels within the pleural cavity. In addition to diagnosing pneumothoraces, chest x-rays can also be used to quantify their size. One common method is to measure the distance between the chest wall and lung margin at the level of the hilum. Distances less than 2 centimeters usually indicate small pneumothoraces, 
and those equal to or larger than 2 cm usually indicate larger ones. Not all pneumothoraces will be detectable on chest x-rays. CT scans of the thorax are the gold standard for diagnosing small pneumothoraces and are also the best modality for the estimation of their size. For example, in some patients with severe underlying lung disease, such as emphysema, detection of a pneumothorax may be difficult to diagnose due to architectural distortion of the lung tissue. However, CTs are often not first-line imaging modality and are indicated when chest x-rays are inadequate or when further assessment of underlying lung disease is needed. Sometimes, obtaining a chest x-ray or CT chest may not be possible due to patient instability. In these cases, point-of-care ultrasound can be done at the bedside to assess for normal lung sliding. If this is not available or not possible given patient instability, a decision can be made to treat empirically based on the patient's clinical presentation. The treatment of pneumothoraces involves the removal of air from the pleural cavity. Without treatment, the body will start to clear the intrapleural air through diffusion into the pulmonary veins. However, this is often insufficient on its own, and patient instability, pneumothorax size, or the presence of an active air leak will often require active treatment on top of this. Let's start with the basics. Any patient presenting with a pneumothorax should have their ABCs assessed and supported where necessary. As we know now, patients with tension pneumothoraces present with severe dyspnea as well as hemodynamic instability. This is a medical emergency, and the treatment involves an emergency needle decompression, usually done by inserting a needle into the second anterior intercostal space at the midclavicular line to evacuate the air, followed by definitive treatment through insertion of a chest tube. The treatment for otherwise stable patients depends on their symptoms as well as the cause and size of their pneumothorax. Most patients will require supplemental oxygen. This not only helps to address potential hypoxemia, but also hastens the reabsorption of intrapleural air. Recall that the main constituent of inhaled air is actually nitrogen. By providing higher fractions of inspired oxygen, the alveolar nitrogen is diluted, creating a larger pressure gradient between the intrapleural and intraalveolar nitrogen, and ultimately accelerating the diffusion of air out of the pleural cavity. Some patients who are asymptomatic and hemodynamically stable could be treated with supplemental oxygen, observation, and repeat imaging to determine if the size of the pneumothorax is progressive. The one exception to the administration of high-flow oxygen may occur in the setting of patients with known hypercapnia or underlying COPD, where excessive oxygen may worsen the degree of hypercapnia and respiratory acidosis. The delivery of supplemental oxygen through high-flow nasal cannula should be avoided if possible, as this delivers small amounts of positive pressure that may worsen pneumothoraces. The removal of intrapleural air can also be facilitated through chest tube insertion. Patients presenting with large-sized pneumothoraces or significant dyspnea, regardless of pneumothorax size, will require insertion of a small-bore chest tube. These chest tubes are attached to a water seal and may require small amounts of suction in select cases. In some patients with primary spontaneous pneumothoraces, needle aspiration can be tried first before determining the need for chest tube insertion. Patients with recurrent pneumothoraces will often require secondary prophylactic treatment in the form of pleurodesis. Pleurodesis refers to treatment that eliminates the pleural space and can be done through chemical or mechanical means. 
In chemical pleurodesis, agents such as tetracycline or talc are instilled into the pleural space during surgery or through a chest tube. The instilled agent triggers an inflammatory response and the creation of adhesions, which ultimately fuse the two pleural layers together. In mechanical pleurodesis, a similar inflammatory response is achieved by abrading the pleural with materials such as dry gauze. Other prophylactic surgical options may involve a parietal pleurectomy and or the removal of boule and blebs, which can otherwise rupture and lead to pneumothoraces. In 2010, the British Thoracic Society published guidelines on the management of certain pleural diseases, such as pneumothoraces. Our website, www.theinternetwork.com, will host a link to this, where more information on this topic can be found. A relatively rare cause of recurrent spontaneous pneumothoraces in menstruating women is thought to be thoracic endometriosis. Known as ketamineal pneumothorax, this subtype can occur within 72 hours before or after the onset of menstruation and thought to be secondary to pleural endometrial deposits. Endometrial tissue attaches within the thoracic cavity, forming chocolate-like cysts. Diagnosis can be hinted by high recurrence rates of lung collapse in a woman of reproductive age with endometriosis. The Internet Work was created by Allison Lai and co-developed by Leia Karanopoulos and Zara Morali. This episode was recorded by Zara Morali and produced by Nafis Hussain. Music by Laxman Zavanthamohan. This episode was written by Dr. Yasmin Bazaden, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Cory Yamashita, respirology, and Dr. Ian Brown, general internal medicine. If you liked this podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out theinternetwork.com for an associated pneumothorax infographic. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.